listening to episode 14-4 of the Tech Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Robert Desert Eagle Allen. With me is an eclectic collection of Rabble Rousers, Reactionaries, and maybe a Resident Evil fan. So starting with Jeremy Lawman Lamont. Master of Unlocking. <laughs> and Eric Blue Swim. I want a jail sandwich. <laughs> for Valentine's Day. And yes. Sage Simmerage Morris Green. I want a video game for Valentine's Day. Which one? I. It's a set. Bad thing. I still do not have Shadows of Mordor. I have got I, six Aww. people have bought that game and played it because of my recommendation of it, and I haven't been able to purchase it yet. They should just send you out a free <laughs> copy. They should. Anyway, we have a promising show lined up. The ever contentious game impressions. We got a provocative interview with Ryan Coons, the lead developer of Honey Pop, and of course the return of game trivia. So let the fun commence. Let's hear from Jeremy who undoubtedly has a list of games as long as the Iliad to talk about. Um, my impressions are girthy this, uh, this week. So, um, actually, I, I was originally going to talk about uh, Apotheon, which mm-hmm. uh, came out on PS Plus. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to talk about it, but I just want to say I have been clamoring for many a year that somebody, somebody out there needs to remake Battle of Olympus from the NES. Um, and... Um, uh, this kind of starts to fit the bill a little bit, but uh, anyway, that that was not one of the games I'll be talking about this week, but uh, that one's uh, free on PS Plus, so you may as well go check it out. Uh, what I am going to be talking about this time is uh, I'm going to start with something else that came out on PS Plus called Kick and Fennec. Uh, uh, and as of the month of February, it is one of the free uh, instant game collection games for the PlayStation Vita, and uh, it's from Jaywalkers Interactive, and... Uh, Couple of things about it. The first thing that struck me was that the logo for Kick and Fennec. Uh, so, so Kick is a uh, kind of a stubby little boy, and Fennec is his sort of uh, squirrel eyeball floating robot thing. And they have a logo. The game has a logo, and it's Kick and with a gear Fennec. And it reminded me a lot of Ratchet and Clank. And uh, it also has kind of like the title character confusion syndrome, where I can never remember who's who, but uh, I looked it up before the show. Kick is definitely the boy. Fennec is definitely the floating eyeball squirrel robot. Uh, Good to keep that straight. It is, it is. I always hate when you know when people are like, oh, I, I love when uh, Ratchet the robot is so funny, and you know, it's actually, no, that's Clank. Which robot. one's Darcy, so which one's Hutch? <laughs> I, the, one of them is a dog, I think. Uh, <laughs> one, one of them's a dog. Uh... I, I, I love the part where Die Hard crashes through the window. That's all I can really say. Um, so, <laughs> Kick and Fennec is a, a kind of a hybrid 2D, 3D uh, kind of platforming game. It, it's one of those, it's 2D mechanics, so it's like left and right only, left and right, up and down, on a 3D world. So, as you move from left to right or, or uh, you know, back and forth, the world will sort of, um, I don't want to say it parallaxes, but, you know, you can see the perspective of the 3D world behind you, kind of like um, kind of like Shadow Complex, if you remember Shadow Complex, the kind of Metroid-y sort of game on Xbox, or or the new Strider uh, that's on on more modern platforms. Uh, and it's pretty simple in, in that sense. Um, there's no no jumping. Uh, it's basically just moving left and right. But the idea behind Kick and Fennec is that the the little boy uh, right at the beginning of the game finds a big giant sniper rifle cannon kind of gun. And uh, the gun basically functions as a uh, jump and also as a gun because the gun is so big and the boy is so small that when you aim and fire the gun, the recoil blasts him in the opposite direction, and that forms the basis of this game. So it's basically a uh, a gun-based 
platformer. Not not gun in that you you know are shooting people with the gun, but that you, you use the gun for the platforming. Uh, and it it works a little bit like um, I mean, kind of an Angry Birds sort of thing where you can choose the uh, not only the angle, but also some, you know, the power of the of the shot. And actually, come to think of it, I never really thought about it while I was playing. But I don't know how he do, how he does that with the gun. I guess the gun must have some sort of power setting on it. Uh, but you can decide if you're going to use the full thrust of the gun to shoot you as far up as it can. And of course, it has a limit. Uh, or if you want to do a smaller but sort of finer kind of jump, you can you can watch the little arc sort of uh, shrink down and, and make a, a little hop rather than a, a giant leap. Uh, and you can double jump with it, uh, and throughout the game, uh, you basically uh, overcome an increasingly difficult series of platforming challenges, uh, a lot of times based on kind of mixing up the idea of, of jumping, you know, because at first, of course, you're going to want to always jump as far as you can, um, and some of the, some of the jumps the direction of the way your finger is pulling it. It works almost exactly like that. Um, it's, uh, I, I found, though, that, that I didn't really like obscuring the action of the game with my hand as, as I was doing this. So I ended up using the... Uh, you use the left stick in the game no matter what to actually run left and right. Uh, you do have a little bit of error control also, so you use the left stick for that. And then the right stick, you can actually use that in place of your finger and kind of uh, um, you know, pull the angle in the opposite direction that you want to go. Uh, occasionally in the game you'll find uh, that you come across various enemies, uh, little flying robots and things like that. Um, that. That's just kind of an occasional puzzly sort of thing. The, the, the uh, idea of the game is that when you meet your little eyeball squirrel robot, he has a, a broken part and you have to go and find a new power source for him. So as you go through the game, you're not just trying to get to the end of the level, but you may come across hidden areas uh, where you're going to find little uh, little power cells, or they kind of look, actually they kind of look like little bolts. I'm not even sure what it is you're collecting. But uh, anyhow, the uh, the robot serves as a, he serves two purposes. One is that uh, if you hit the triangle button on the, on the Vita, uh, it'll give you a, kind of a, a guide arrow to show you where you need to go. The, the environments aren't terribly open, but they do encourage a little bit of exploration because in order to uh, collect all of these little power bits throughout the level of your you know typical path and, and kind of explore some, some little areas. Um, at the end of each level, in some ways, Kick and Fennec, I mean, it, it really is uh, more fun than, than maybe I am even making it sound. I mean, it's fairly straightforward, uh, but there are two things about it. Number one is I want to say that the, the jumping, just the velocity, um, you know, the um, uh, just, just the feel of, of the momentum when, when you hit that, that trigger, uh, it actually feels really good. And I think it's easy to kind of overlook that, but it is fun. Uh, in fact, sometimes where, when you would normally run, it's fun just to you know aim the gun directly behind you and just kind of power skip through a couple of hallways or something. And, and, and you do kind of get, get a, a little bit of a rush from that. And so I, I have been enjoying that part of it. Uh, if you fall to your demise, so there are little power grids and things that you might fall into or uh, uh, you might get crushed or there are various hazards, uh, the robot will immediately teleport you back to your lab safe area. And he can do that a limited number of times. Uh, they're, they're sort of a power meter. And they, they ease you into it. I feel like the difficulty uh, ratchets up fairly, or maybe it clanks up uh, fairly. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a fairly good curve, I think. Um, and uh, it, it does make it pretty fun. In some ways, though, it feels a little bit like a highly produced mobile game 
which could be good or bad. I mean, a highly produced mobile game. So uh, it, it struck me watching this that although the animation is pretty simple, there are some occasional little cutscenes. Uh, you know, the boy waking up from his his uh, cryo chamber, and 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 this is sort of a colorful desolation kind of environment. So it's a futuristic skyscrapers kind of thing, but there are overgrown plants everywhere and things like that, and uh, um, it, it, and it looks good. It, it definitely looks good, and it struck me as I was watching some of those animations that, gosh, you know, ten years ago, this would be, like, really cutting-edge animation. For now, it's it's a little, you know, it's a, it's a little mobile feeling. But um, the number of the little power bits that you collect, you, you get a grade on that, and it's one of those games where, I mean, if, if you play a lot of mobile games, it seems like there's this common thread of getting three coins or something, you know, like three markers is the best grade you can get, or two, or one. And this does that, and, and it's not that it's bad, but it just kind of pulls me back and says, oh, this probably is based on a, on a mobile game. I mean, it has it's totally touch-playable, um, and, and, and generally the mechanics are very simple. I mean, a lot of the challenge comes in when you have to try and plan exactly how that jump is going to go. I mean, you may, you may do you know, a really long arc, and then you have just a little hop on top of that to get up to a particular little place because you don't want to overshoot it. Or, you, you know, some, of the, some of that is what adds in the difficulty. And um, I, I kind of get the feeling from it like you're probably going to see this game. As far as I know, this is the first platform for it to launch on is uh, uh, Vita. Uh, but I would bet that before long we'll probably be seeing it on uh, on Android or or other platforms. But for the time being, uh, free on PS Plus. I believe it's seven ninety nine if you are not a subscriber or if you want to buy it. And uh, it is brand new, so it made its debut on PS Plus for free. So that's a nice trend, actually. That's cool. Yeah, and you know that happens occasionally, and uh, I think it's it also kind of lends. Um, uh, a little bit of, uh, um, I, I guess, recognition, or you know, when something launches and it's free for you know for subscribers from the very first, uh, you know, gives it a little little bit of an extra, a little bit of extra boost. I think. Also, gets uh, the developer's name out there too. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and you know, I think that uh, I've read a few uh, articles. Or, or investigations of, of the actual arrangements of PS Plus, but I think part of it is definitely, aside from, from I'm sure they get a flat fee for publishing on PS Plus, but it, a lot of times it's going to be the, the name recognition or, or you know, getting some, some wide distribution of your product and you know, giving away a, paid, a, a normally paid product for free is, uh, is a good way to do that. And you know, They do it on the Amazon storefront for Android, and uh, that seems to work well for them, so it works for someone. So Kick and Fennec on PS Vita currently. Kicking. Yep. Uh, speaking of boosting, I actually have a, uh, another kind of uh, boosty game that I've been playing also on Vita. This is a uh, cross-platform on Vita and PS4. It also is available on PC. I presume at some point it's coming to others. But this one is called Race the Sun. Uh, it's not a terribly new game. Um, in fact, it's actually been on PC for quite a while. You might remember it from... Uh, a while ago when it was the center of a, I think, a Steam Greenlight, um, I don't want to call it a controversy, but kind of a, a hullabaloo, maybe, something like that. <laughs> and um, it, at least, um, and that was not that long ago, I guess. But it eventually got some recognition just as kind of the... Um, uh, I don't want to say it got it got sympathy or whatever, but it, it sort of became a rallying call for some of the problems that exist in the um, voting-based, you know, popularity-based uh, greenlight process. And you know, to be honest with you, I haven't heard a lot about Steam Greenlight uh, since then. But um, 
uh, you know, this this is sort of where that started out. And it lately came to consoles, uh, at least to the PlayStation 4 and the Vita, which is the platform that I've been playing on. And it is a fairly straightforward, um, you almost want to call it a an endless runner type game. So uh, basically it is a third-person uh um, forward-facing, uh, constant uh, velocity kind of game. So you represent your your character is kind of a uh, silvery little bird airplane kind of thing, uh, uh, presumably a solar-powered thing. And you're basically racing forward through a number of different environments, uh, starting from simple geometry on up to um, different. Uh, I, I mean, it's all. It's all basically geometrical, but things like skyscrapers or blocks or triangles or um, obelisks of various types, and you're doing this under an open sky. Everything's kind of very monochromatic looking. The, the levels have different sort of color themes to them, but generally speaking, it's I not think like I've you're running this. through a, a real lush landscape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of had a vector a graphics fact, just, type of aesthetic to it. Right? A little bit. I mean, I would. Or at least it, uh, there wasn't a lot of texturing going on. Right. Correct. I, I would call it more polygonal or polygonal. Um, but I was just looking it up, and, and it actually was released on Steam in uh, at the very end of 2013. So a little, little over a year, I think. But it was, I think, kind of a, a slow burn. And it's very, very simple. Um, in fact, the, the game is built in Unity, the, the game engine Unity. And uh, not to disparage it, but, but the phrase that really comes to mind is, this is the most Unity-ass-looking game uh, that I think <laughs> I, that I think I've ever seen. Uh, it, I mean, it definitely is simple in design. Uh, simple, but I would say there's kind of an elegance to it. But uh, like I said earlier, so you're flying around these obelisks and, and shapes and things under an open sky, so there is a sun, so that, again the idea is uh, race the sun, and uh, each level that you go through, of course it's a, it's a finite space, but as you go through you are trying to pick up little, um, I guess just little pickups, little uh, boosts and, and things of that nature, and you might gain extra speed, there's kind of a combo sort of score counter that's going on, and as you go through this, you want to try and race through areas that do not tower above you to obscure the sun from you. So, you, again, you're sort of this solar-powered little airplane-y thing. And you, as you uh, go through the levels, you unlock... It's the kind of thing that's intended to be played multiple times through. So every time you play, you might have different goals that you need to achieve, like, for example, um, you know, go, go through a whole world without crashing, or go, or go through two worlds without crashing, or pick up uh, 10 pickups in a row, or pick up 25 pickups total, or, or something like that. And as you do that on sub- subsequent playthroughs, you can then do things like uh, jump or glide, or you know, there are just different, uh, different little abilities or powers that you, uh, that you kind of pick up. So it, so is, it is very like simple and straightforward. Game. It is, it is, um, and uh, I, I don't think it actually is available on mobile, but I, I guess theoretically, and, and you know, I didn't say about Kick and Fennec that it was mobile, Bridget, but uh, it, the the premise of the game really is not complicated, um, so that, that could be seen as a positive or a negative, depending on your particular uh, viewpoint on it, but in this case, uh, as an endless runner, I mean, there is a, and again, I'm, I'm sort of using that term. I mean, there's no running involved, but you are self-propelled. So basically, once you start, you're just dodging to the left, dodging to the right, sometimes gaining some altitude. Um, some levels are sort of in outer space kind hover. of areas. So. Yeah, an endless, an endless hover. Uh, and, you know, there, there are a number of different endless blankers that are out there. In fact, my kids have been playing a lot of uh, Crossy Road. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that is that may be referred to as an endless... 
an endless frogger. Yep, that's an endless frogger. Um, that sounds like a version of hell, like the tenth circle or something. Actually, Crossy Road is kind of addictive. In fact, my in-laws are playing it now, and my two kids. I I don't know. It's it's not bad. I kind of burned out on it pretty pretty quickly, but. Um, but too. but it's you know but but then I realized you could unlock different animals and that was kind of fun. Yeah, their their favorite one and I didn't mean for this to turn into a a, a crossy road discussion, but their favorite one is poopy pigeon, where if you <laughs> if if you uh, leave the pigeon sitting for too long, I guess he kind of kind of leaves little pigeon turds uh, around. So I guess there's some appeal uh, in poopy pigeon, but uh, race the sun is is kind of nice because it has a if that's the kind of thing that you like to chill out with and it, it does have. That very. In fact, I think on a previous show I may have talked about Entwined a little bit. Do you guys remember Entwined? That the um, there was a, a Sony uh, must have, I can't remember if it was GDC event uh, where there was the bird and the fish, and you would control each one with the stick, and it was also very sort of polygonal. Oh, yeah. Very. I, I believe that that was during E3 they announced. It might have been at E3. Yeah. They they announced it on so stage and they said right yes, like you can buy it right then, and which I did, uh, and you know I I. I pretty sure I talked about that on this show, so go back and look through the archives, and you can get my thoughts on. Uh, uh, on that game, but uh, this this kind of reminds me of that. It, it, there is a simplicity to it. Some people find that charming. Some people do not. Uh, if you're the kind of person who again chases high scores, uh, the other thing about this, I guess I should say, is that the levels are randomly generated, and I believe they generate them once a week. So there's a weekly seed that uh, changes the environments that you actually go through. So you might spend uh, you know, a little bit of time figuring out the best path for the level that you're on right now. It might work out great for you. You get a great high score, but it resets every week or every so often and, um, and then changes things up. So if that concept of the, you know, the endless flying solar-powered craft is, uh, is interesting to you or if, if uh, runners or, or those kinds of things are, are your kind of game, I think definitely check it out. Um, it, it, again, it does have a very simple style to it. If you are turned off by that sort of thing or if the phrase, you, the most unity-ass looking game uh, is a turn-off to you, you may want to skip it for now. But uh, there, there are uh, certainly a lot of videos out there. In fact, it, there might even be an early version of the game that are that's still in distribution by the developers for free. So there's a Steam version, uh, the PlayStation version. Um, so Race the Sun. I apologize, that was kind of weird. Apology I, I heard, Yes, thank you. Uh, so the uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about on uh, on this show is uh, also a new release, and it is. Uh, I guess I would say it's probably the opposite of simple because it is based on a very tried and true uh, Japanese role-playing game formula. It is called Citizens of Earth, which is a recent release by I think it's an Atlas game. Yes, I, you know, I should probably look is. this up. Yeah, Citizens of Earth, and um, I have kind of decided, generally speaking, that I'm pretty much done listening to people tell me how much they love Earthbound. I, I think we've got the point. Some people like Earthbound. And so you just hate other people's joy? Is that what it is? No, no. I've just had my fill of other people's joy. This is the episode where Jeremy goes hipster. Yeah, they can keep it to, <laughs> they can keep it to themselves now. Um, but I, I actually, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that there is now a new game that is very much in the style of um, of Earthbound. So Citizens of Earth is a, a, um, a 2D... Uh, JRPG, party-based JRPG, and, 
and it has a very tongue-in-cheek sort of voice acting style and presentation to it. It's very cartoony looking, so it's not like your old pixely kinds of, of uh, aesthetics or, or anything like that. Uh, and, and the voice acting is very, um, very, I don't know, like American. <laughs> so the, the, something that I secretly think about this is I think that all of the people who really like Earthbound are just, I think they're going to overlook this because it's just not Japanese enough. <laughs> I, honestly, honestly. So the main character, so you play as the vice president of Earth, the vice president of Earth, and he is kind of a, yeah, he is kind of a, um, he, he looks a little like Conan O'Brien, I guess. He's got kind of big red hair and uh, maybe a little bit of graying in the temples, so he, he also kind of has kind of a Mitt Romney-esque sort of thing to him. And the voice actor who, talk, who plays him is like this. He, he's oblivious to everything and kind of makes his own way through without knowing what's going on around him. And uh, so you start out, he's, he's visiting his home after being elected vice president of Earth, and um, he talks to his, his mom. He's there living with his mom. He's in his bed. His mom's going to pick up his underwear and things like that. He's, he's, in, he's in a bedroom just like it, it was his you know, high, school, uh, high school age bedroom. And his, his brother is there who works for um, the, the delivery service. And they, they, they eventually join your party. And the entire premise of the game is that you basically, as you go through the game, you're going to meet... 40 or 50 different characters throughout the game, and you can recruit them all to your party. And each one will have different combat abilities. They each have different um, overworld abilities. So you can use, for example, you meet a baker. The baker has the ability to sell you uh, health items, health power-ups. You might meet a, uh, there's a conspiracy theorist guy, and you can use him in in, in battle. So the battles are straight out of Earthbound, you know, wavy, crazy backgrounds and all. Um, Turn-based, turn-based combat. So you have uh, attack abilities and support abilities, and there's kind of an interesting idea where as you do, you have sort of low-level abilities for each character, like a, a s- 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 smack or something, you know, just like a, a straight-up physical attack, or your mom has uh, scolding attack or something like that. And as you use their low-level attacks, it builds up a little energy meter, which then allows you at some point to unleash a, uh, like, like the mom eventually unlocks uh, a physical spanking attack where she will just beat the shit out of someone, uh, as moms do. And, um, uh, you, you know, and, and part of the strategy of the game is that you want to pair characters together in your party who will complement each other. Some characters will uh, replenish the energy bars of others. Some will steal energy from those who have extra and use them to do their own attacks and things like that. Uh, the enemies that you meet in the game are just random and various. Uh, you start out and you're being protested. So there's protests all over. After you finish off the protesters, eventually you just fight cops for some reason. Uh, you go to different cities and different areas, and, and it, again, it's just sort of this modern-day, you know, buildings and cars kind of, of thing. And uh, you, you visit schoolhouses and, and um, uh, technology corporations and things like that, picking people up and kind of fighting off uh, sort of an alien menace. And, um, and so generally speaking, it, it is uh, more, it's it's slower than the other games I've talked about. I mean, it's more deliberate. It's also slower in that the game has some pretty severe loading times. Um, oh. uh, yeah, as you move from one area to another, or, or even indoors or out of doors, uh, there is a loading screen that you'll get to be quite familiar with. Uh, so that kind of uh, breaks the pacing up uh, a little. What are you playing it on? Uh, I'm playing it on the Vita. Uh, it's not cross-buy, and it's not cross-save, but it is also available separately on PlayStation 4. I actually have it on both in the hope that 
eventually I can take my save from one to the other. But I've been begging them, begging Atlas on Twitter, please implement some sort of cross-save functionality. I kind of doubt they're going to do it, but uh, I haven't heard a lot about this game. You know, I, I um, when I first heard that it was an Earthbound thing, I was kind of like, all right, okay, Earthbound. But I eventually kind of decided that, you know, playing this, which is is good. I mean, it is fun. Um, I know some some people have said that they don't like the, the combat uh, style, but... I mean, it's pretty true to the you know to the source material. So there's not a lot that I can I can really say to change people's mind. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, um, but I just get the feeling like it's kind of being overlooked a little bit, and sure. I find it kind of ironic that the people who are always like, "Oh my God, Earthbound," um, they I mean, I feel like, and again, I just feel like it's just not Japanese enough for people. They're just they're going to overlook. Well, it's it Japanese enough for Robert. We really liked it when we played it at E3. It's fun. It's fun, right? And and it's even funny too. I mean, the you know the 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 vice president of Earth is kind of lovably stupid, and I've even laughed at some of the jokes. I mean, usually I don't laugh out loud at stuff, but I've had got I've gotten a couple pretty good chuckles from this. Um, and you know, if if it were a Japanese game translated to English, you would say, well, the localization is great. So if you know. Earthbound fans out there, if that's the kind of thing that gets you to try this out, you know, try it. Um, but um, again, it is a little bit more of How's a slower the dub, and Jeremy? deliberate play. Yeah, the dub. <laughs> uh, actually, it's kind of fun though because th- there is a surprising amount of voice acting in this. So the vice president always, almost always, has spoken actual dialogue. Uh, the other characters, because they're so interchangeable, they sometimes will just have little vocalizations like, huh? "Oh, yeah, okay." You know, something like that. But they also will have uh, quite a lot of spoken dialogue as well. I think Biden and, does that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden. Um, so, anyway, it, it's, you know, it's got the production value. I've heard, you know, it's also out on Wii U, uh, come to think of it. The reason I know that is because when I buy a game on, on another PC, platform, I tend Steam. to... Yeah, it is on PC also. Uh, and I, I know that it's on Wii U because I when I get a game on a different platform that's also on Wii U, I join the Miiverse community just to see what people say about it, and they're all basically complaining about the loading time. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Um, oh no! Yeah, and actually, I've heard—I don't—I can't verify this—but I've heard that the the storage size, like the the footprint of this game, is a lot higher on Wii U than it is on other platforms. It's it's not small on Vita. It's uh, over a gig. It's uh, I want in fact I want to say it's about a gig and a half uh, on the PS4 and on PC. In fact, let me look at this really quickly because I think I just had it here. But uh, I think somehow on Wii U, I think I heard somebody say that it is a a. Um, uh, like a 12 gig game. Uh, it's five gigs on PC, and and like I said, I've heard that it's I've heard that it's big. I, I could I could be misquoting that, That's but really I've heard that it's I've heard that it's big on the Wii U, and uh, I don't know if that has to it's do all the with extra the. Piece. Yeah, I yeah I was thinking maybe it has to do with the the actual voice acting. I mean, I thought maybe they had some sort of audio fidelity thing, but uh, it's it's not a small game, so it does have kind of a large footprint for being based on a a game that you know could fit on a. You know, on are, the, cartridge. are the maps super expansive? Because I remember the voice acting being good, but not high audio fidelity takes up three gigs good. Like Yeah, no. The, the maps like aren't 40 really... hours of voice acting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that, that's what I... I mean, I don't really know. I mean, there are a lot of characters, and they all have some good voice acting. The president has dialogue all over the place. So I, it seems to me like it might be audio, but I, I can't... I can't really say for sure. Uh, the maps aren't really that big, but they're they're spacious enough. But anytime you go into a building, again, it loads. Anytime you go to an adjacent area, it loads. Um, the nice thing is that you do have a there's a, a little personal assistant, uh, PD personal digital assistant. They even have those anymore. What year is this? Uh, <laughs> and it shows you on the map. You can see where there are dialogue options, where there are recruitment options, where there are primary objectives, secondary objectives. 
So you, you can without, you know, and it'll tell you like, okay, they're in the adjacent space over here, or it's kind of dynamic. It's a real-time map. So if you move uh, downward, you'll see the, um, you know, as, as things get farther away from you, they kind of bunch up together at the edge of the screen. So you can get a pretty good idea of finding your way around. Uh, so it's not big enough that you get lost, but it's, you know, fairly, fairly spacious, I think. And there's also a time mechanic to it too. So things move around during, you know, using the internal clock in the game. Um, some people are available at different times to talk to. Some events are triggered by, by the different times of day. Uh, so there are some other interesting systems there. Uh, your characters, one of the things, this is like a small little detail, but I just have to say, I really appreciate that your characters level up even if they're dead. Um, and in fact, if you, they'll continue to get experience, and if they happen to gain a level when they're dead, it brings them back to life, which uh, has been a source of, uh, been a good strategy for me. You can also put your your uh, unused characters, so since there are so many of them, one of the things you have to deal with, and it's kind of a bummer, is leveling characters that you're not using a lot. I mean, it's one of those things where generally you might pick uh, a main group or kind of a, a little cadre of your most used characters, uh, but you can put the ones that you're not using into school and pay some money, and they'll actually level up on a time-based schedule uh, even if you're not using them. So that's uh, good too. Yeah, so generally speaking, I mean, I think they're pretty savvy, pretty smart about the potential shortcomings of, of the systems that are in, included in this game, but uh, I've been finding it really enjoyable, and I hope more people get a chance to look at it, and I especially want to hear from Earthbound people because it is a, a dead ringer for that style and, and just the gameplay elements of Earthbound. Um, and I defy Earthbound fans to tell me why this game is any less than you know than the original. So try it out. Uh, like I said, it might not be for everybody. Loading screen's kind of a little bit of a drag there, but uh, generally speaking, I've been I've been pretty pleased with Citizens of Earth. So now that Namco's patent ran out. I'm hoping for more games that have interactive sequences during the loading. I uh, is, did they have a patent on that? Yeah, they really. Um, yeah, and there, there. You know, I will say there were some things that Earthbound did, and I'm not saying that I'm tired of hearing about people talking about Earthbound just for the hell of it. I, I in fact, I just finished watching the uh, really well done three part uh, uh, Double Fine. The uh, indie studio has been sort of producing their own little uh, devs play series, and one of the ones on there was one of their employees who was a big Earthbound fan, and I watched all of that, and I decided, you know what, this is it. This will be the capstone. I'm not going to listen to any more about this. So I'm well familiar with Earthbound. Uh, it's you know nice and all. I'm just tired of hearing about it. But it does have some cool things like you know in Earthbound, if your character would take a hit, you would actually have this little rolling kind of like a um, like a slot machine. Your your health would start to count down. And even if the person had suffered a, a KO, if you could heal them before the timer counted down, you could actually avert disaster and those kinds of things. So it. it did some really cool things. It was really nice and, and um, uh, you know forward forward looking and, and kind of did things nothing else was doing. I'm just tired of hearing about it. That's all. I gotta ask. I mean, you've met, you've name dropped Earthbound quite a, quite a few times while talking about it. Yeah. Does does like the um... have you actually played it, Jeremy? Uh, a little bit, a little bit, not much. Mm. Uh, so no. <laughs> but, I, but I've mostly watched people play it and. Um, you know, I think that's probably about it. I'm actually considering... Well, watching people play is always boring unless no, you're a younger sibling and you like that. I, I, I enjoy watching Let's Plays, and, and uh, you know, especially if there are games that I do not really plan or do not want to take the time to play. So, I, trust me, I have had my... And, in fact, everybody go watch this uh, Double Fine Let uh, Devs Play uh, Earthbound. It's a three-part... I mean, it's probably like an hour and a half of just watching this dude talk about the different Earthbound games. And it, it is really very interesting. Uh, uh, but that... But- I think, I mean, I don't know. I feel like the temporal component is there, that, and that seems to come up sometimes when we talk about these kinds of things. But part of what made Earthbound 
part I mean Earthbound's a classic game. That's part of why people are all about it and mm-hmm. and then Ness was kept alive, you know, through Super Smash Brothers for the newer generations who hadn't played Earthbound and mm-hmm. so it just kept building on itself. There there is something to the history and and you know background of Earthbound. Sure. More than just oh everyone likes it as a game. So I mean that's something that like Citizens of Earth is great and I actually think it's a lot of fun but I'm, I feel like you almost can't compare them because one has a lot of longevity and history and the other one is just a really great game that's a lot more recent. And the other one is new. I mean, whatever. I, I don't disagree with you on any of those points. I'm just tired of hearing about it. Just, well, why don't you play it and then you don't have to hear about it anymore? No, I'm done. I'm telling you. <laughs> so let I'm me done. chime in about Mother Citizens 3. What, does uh, Citizens of Earth kind of rely a little bit too much on maybe the Earthbound wink-wink nudge-nudge? Kind Possibly. Of that's a great question. Maybe it does. Uh, and there are in-jokes, you know, like... Uh, you know, there's a, an APB out at the police station for a boy beating crows with a baseball bat. Well, it turns out that there are some crows that are the enemies in the very first town in Earthbound. And they kind of look like those smoking crows from uh, Dumbo, I think, in the game. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a wink and nod to it. Yeah, there, there are definitely Earthbound references. I mean, this is not a, uh, you know, a hidden homage. I mean, it is definitely an overt Earthbound uh Kind of like uh, 3D Dot Game Heroes to the original Legend of Zelda. Kind of, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great uh, a great comparison, and um, I think it pulls it off. I mean, as somebody who is not deep into Earthbound and has, you know, the bulk of my experience is just listening to other people talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Uh, I feel like this is a pretty good substitute for for having to go back and, and pull out old ROMs or or, or games. Uh, I, I will say I have been kind of thinking about now that Club Nintendo is uh, coughing its last uh, you know breath. Uh, one of the games on offer is the Wii U uh, Virtual Console re-release of uh, I can't remember if it's I guess it is Earthbound. Um, so I've been thinking about that, but. Honestly, I'd probably rather just play this. Although I will say the virtual console version does have the strategy guide in digital form on the tablet screen. You know, one thing I, I would actually play is the unreleased, you know, like the fan translation of Mother 3, Earthbound 2, I guess yeah. you'd say. Uh, that actually looks really appealing to me. Um, and, and I have seen less of that than the other things, but... Mm, you know, I could take it or leave it. It's got the same battle system. It's got the same um, what's that the thing you mentioned, the rolling health. Yeah, yeah, and I mean a lot of it. A lot of it is based on the same idea. I think the characters might be a little different, but uh, I think the thing that I liked about the about Mother Three was the in the way it animated. I think it is presented very well, and it still has that same sort of you know charming uh, you know little kid adventure kind of component to it, and uh, and the fact that it was never released and fans got together and made their own version of it i think that is really cool so So what you're really saying is that hitting the button in time with the music that's kind of cool for it yeah 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 sorry sage what was that no i just it's so it sounds like what you're saying is if if everybody loves a game i fucking hate it and i don't want to hear about it if a bunch of fans in a basement made a game then i totally (laughs) want to support that I mean, even if it's based off the game that I'm saying I hate, which really just has to do with how many other people like it besides me. No, but listen, I don't want to hear <laughs> talking to me about Mother 3 either. I would just play it myself. I'm just tired of listening to people talk about it. That's so, all. So you, Jeremy, you, you're you, a Utah hipster. Face I might be. I might be. So you discuss games on a podcast for other people to listen to, but you don't want to hear anybody tell you about these games. Not anymore. I'm just saying <laughs> it's been going on far too long. I'm just teasing you, Jeremy. I know you are, but I'm serious about this. (laughs) Everybody stop talking about it. So everybody leave in the comments what about 
Earthbound you think Jeremy really needs to pay attention to so that maybe he gets a nosebleed out of sheer frustration. <laughs> that would be so great, you guys. Tell me more about Earthbound. <laughs> All the things. <laughs> so that's me. That's me for this week. Frustration Yay. causes you... nosebleeds? I thought um, whatever. Everything causes nosebleeds. <laughs> for me, picking my nose causes nosebleeds. Well, yeah, that'll do it. Jeremy, did you play Stanley Parable? No, I haven't really had the opportunity to. You're going to play it, because you need to. you heard too many good things about it. I I mean, people just keep talking (laughs) about Stanley Parable. I mean, oh my god, you guys. Who people? Just me. Oh god, Stanley. I I can't turn around. I can't swing a dead cat without hitting hitting somebody who's talking about it. (laughs) Oh god. Weird. (laughs) Um, Well, you should play it, because I really want to know what you think about it. And I wanted to go off of something you said, because you were talking about jumping mechanics. Oh yeah. And them working and i that's always been a big thing for me actually not just in platformers although it's obviously important there but in general like jumping mechanics is one of those subtle things that i think makes such a big difference in your enjoyment of a game like a good jump or something that like pops you know something that just feels like a pop like ah that was good yeah like so one of the games i played this week was thomas was alone which not a particularly new game but i i really loved it and for two reasons for the jumping mechanics which are great and are different for so have you guys all played Thomas is Alone? I mean you guys. Yeah, have. For sure. So yeah. for anyone listening who hasn't played Thomas was Alone, you probably have, but if you haven't, it's a really, really simple platformer. You have little block little squares and rectangles of different shapes and sizes, and they all have different jumping abilities and different colors. And as the game builds on itself with the puzzles, you more or f- fewer or more of them are present in the puzzle areas that you're working in. And the other thing that I really like about it, what I think makes it really, really successful as a game, I know, Jeremy, you're not always big into narrators, but I love the mechanic in this of the narrator who really adds to a story which otherwise without dialogue would have been, okay, it's a platform or whatever. Like the the narrator talking about these little blocks and their different, you know, supposed characteristics or personality traits is such an effective way to capture interest. Because as you're playing, you're looking at these little squares and suddenly you can see these personality things in them. Like, I love John, the big yellow one. He's so ambitious and he's such a go-getter. There is nothing about that yellow rectangle that communicates any of those personality traits. But because of the way the narrator is describing their dialogue with each other and their thought processes, you get this whole picture in your head of the personality when there's just this little square on the screen. It helps which, when your narrator's British, too. It does! I totally think that that's true, <laughs> but that's because I'm a sucker for foreign accents. I'm one of those people. It's like uh, Milo and Otis or something. Yeah, so much more compelling. Thomas ran like, through the field and right. he thought... Or the intro for every notes. little big planet game. Yep. Yeah, I, You know, if you I, extra points if your British narrator can be uh, um, what's-his-face. I just blanked on his name. Which, what's his face? Uh, Bill Knight? No, 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 no. The, um... Oh, God. Peter um, Pan. No. Jeremy Clarkson. I'll, I'll come back to it. Okay. Um, which which is funny because that is a, you know, Stanley Parable weird. You didn't love the narrator Stephen from... Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's totally great. Uh, um, I, I also quite like Hugh Laurie, but for voiceover, probably I would pick Stephen Fry. But anyway... Um, I do think that the, I do think British somehow seems to help. Maybe they just make the best narration tellers, but, um, 
Yes, humor, characteristics, great narration, um, and and I love the different. I love that the different blocks do different things, but then also the game is getting to a point where you think like, okay, I've seen everything these blocks can really do. Every time that happens, you, it adds a new component. You know, at some point it becomes reverse gravity, but not for everybody, just for one particular block. So then that le- le- gives you a different level of dynamic interplay because you have people on the ceiling and, and people on the floor. And then you start to get used to that, and they introduce a new character that has other, you know, different abilities. Um, or, I love or, or the- how they interact with each other. Like, right. um, I, you know, I can't even remember the names of all these characters, but one of there's like Chris or something who's like a stubby little block. And yeah. It's like a, yeah, and they and they also add like character traits to them. Like, oh, he's a grumpy little block or something. Right. And oh, oh, Thomas is telling him to cheer up. I, you know what it reminds me of? It's like uh, Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> Thomas no, the tank see, was, I don't Sir Topham Hatch was very cross with Thomas. Yeah, but only only the narration is slightly reminiscent of that because the the Thomas the Tank Engine is so saccharine. Like even as a kid, I didn't like Thomas the Tank Engine. The books were okay yeah. because because it was too. There's a difference between optimistic and being like, oh, everything is fantastic all the time and super sweet, and you My want to pull your eyeballs out of your head. Very- Cross. Yeah, no. I so I, I don't think it's like Thomas the Tank Engine. I think it's like very funny British humor. I love that Claire thinks she's a superhero. Yes, I was going to say one of the characters. To no traits. end. And isn't she? She's kind, of, she's kind of like a kind of like a bigger girl, right? She's. You're so Jeremy. You always manage to be so offensive. No, like, it's not a, offensive. <laughs> I mean, isn't she kind of like a big block? Yes, she is a big she block. Brick shit house. I think that's even worse than the first thing you said. Uh, okay. Anyway, Jeremy's offensiveness aside, this is a great game. She floats in the water, I think. Don't they float on top of her? Yeah, they do float on top of her. You remember some of that. Yeah. Um, and it does what a lot of... I, I have found like games where the narrator sort of interacts through the fourth wall with somebody playing the game and isn't just narrating what's happening, but is, but is also commenting on the personality and the scenario and everything. It does get a little bit into philosophy like those games too so there's you know issues being that of trust and being alone and discovering friendship is and how important that is but without it being like a dance after school lesson it's just that those ideas get brought up in the in the narration well and that's like the last show where you talked about the swapper i thought that was one of the one of the secret best things about that game was right. how it starts to get into some real complicated ideas about consciousness and right. uh and souls and things like that and I, right. I by the end of the game i found that to be one of the most memorable things about it so. yeah which so i think it's something that can be very effective in games if it doesn't become pedantic it definitely doesn't in thomas they keep it really simple it it has such a large amount of charm for such a small game um so i would say it's totally worth playing everybody should play it the other game that i played um i played one other game and i and i watched some kill a kill anime that i'm going to talk about but the other game that i played is gabriel Knight, the the newer one the like anniversary edition of the remake no but i really want to that is one of my i i'm not sure if it's in my top i mean it's one of my favorite games gabriel knight yeah. It's yeah. it's really good. It looks great. I mean, the movement is all good. Like it everything flows smoothly. I love I love the narration and the funny commentary about it's like some you imagine her being some heavy-set Cajun woman. I mean, she sounds like the person you'd walk into a voodoo store and meet who's like the big mama of the shop and she's very sarcastic. And Gabriel's comments on things are obviously very sarcastic. I have to say, though, I, Sherlock, I think, spoiled me a little bit on detective genre games. 
because as far as solving detective puzzles, and Robert, maybe you can chime in on that, but as far as solving detective puzzles, it was just so, so good that to some extent I found the puzzles in Gabriel Knight a little simple and a little... and But it's not that it's bad. Like, Gabriel Knight's really good. I think it's just that Sherlock kind of ruined me. I was going to say, in a, in a genre like adventure gaming, where people are often quick to say, like, oh, these puzzles are so obtuse, how would anyone ever figure this out? Uh, an easy puzzle seems like less of a less of a knock against it. Uh, I'm the other way on that. I would rather have a really challenging puzzle that I have to sit in that makes me feel like the game was made for a five-year-old version of myself and now I'm bored. Because, and, and maybe that's just me, but I would much rather have challenging puzzles that take me a while to solve than really easy ones. I don't know. I don't have that kind of time anymore. I used to, <laughs> but I do not now. Well, that that's fair. That's, you know what I liked about what would be cool if they did and what I liked about Curse of Monkey Island 3 as another click point adventure puzzle game is that well, they it would just had... be called Curse of Monkey Island, which would be Monkey Island Three. They, you know what? Shut up. You know what the hell I mean. <laughs> I do. Is that do they you? had the they had the eat a dick, Jeremy? They had the harder. <laughs> they had the two options. They had the easier difficulty level and then the harder difficulty level with the same puzzles, but you had to find more of the components involved. I thought that was a great way of handling that, where you could then choose how hard you want, how much time you have to devote to doing puzzles. Kind of, but if you're uh, just to flip that around, if you're let's just say Robert the reviewer these days you probably knock games for being like i think they artificially extended the difficulty by adding more components to that puzzle see i don't find that artificial i find that to be a great way of yeah, adding no. another level to the game i mean i hear what i'm just saying you could look at it both ways what do you think robert i think that's an option personally when it comes to adventure games i find myself drawn to more of the ethical dilemmas than puzzles, mm-hmm. but that's just me. Mm-hmm. That's just my mm-hmm. own so you're more weirdness. Walking Dead style. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. I, you know, the other thing I think is tricky to balance is clickables. Like Monkey Island or like Bioshock has just enough things to click on and like posters and things to grab your attention that it keeps rooms interesting and interactive feeling. I liked all the different things you could click on in Gabriel Knight, but it, at some point I started to feel like there were too many. Like I'd spend 20 minutes in a room looking at all the different because then there's awards you get for looking at things. So you have extra incentive so, to look at So you're at just everything. talking about spaces that you can click the eyeball. In fact, does this use the old Sierra? Because eventually the Sierra games went to a, an interface where you would right-click and change the action icon from like an eyeball to a hand to a, a mouth. For you, This pops up a wheel. So when you click on something, you get whatever options are available to you for that object, you get them. So you could grab it, you could look at it, you could, but only if those options are available. Were available for the. So what you're saying is you're concerned that just you could look at too much, you could spend too much time in a room just looking at stuff, or or grab them. I mean, it's a mix. So and then there's things that you can look at, grab, and talk to, and it's all the same object. Like you I don't can't pick one grab thing. that. I can't talk to that. You, usually, it gives it to you as an option if you can actually do it. But in one room, there's like 30 things, and so like I really want to play the game, but I also really want to see the things in the room. But after spending 30 minutes in a room looking at things, I get kind of tired of of being in the world. Do you know what I mean? So they're just giving you what you want, and you're getting... No, they're giving me too much of what <laughs> too, I want. Too much. It's like too much chocolate cake, and then you feel sick. I see. Well, don't eat it all. <laughs> well, yeah, Only I know, but look at then... the most interesting Yeah, it's just like pick one Le- thing and look... Leave the moose head but for then a if second you're, playthrough. But I'm kind of OCD, so then if you're kind of OCD, and then on top of that, they're like, oh, you get achievements. If you There's 300 things you should look well, at. Then is, you need is, to look at all the of them. You're like, oh, the I have to look maker? at them all. It's the fault in the cake maker or the person who wants to eat the whole cake. The fault is in the cake maker who knows that someone will want to eat the whole cake, and then they sprinkle cocaine on top to make sure they'll captivate <laughs> their attention even more so, and then they hand them the cake. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. This is a terrible analogy, so a metaphor. So anyway, um, no, but overall, I think it's a really good game, and the remake is 
Um, the, a little bit of the grit feels like it's gone, but it's yeah, really, so they, really so they polished. Redid, they redid the art. They redid the music. They, I mean, they redid everything, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is from the ground up, just a, a brand new recreation of a game from 20 years ago, right? It's pretty different, yeah. Like, it feel it doesn't feel like a buffing. It feels more like a, they polished all the Which rock off nice and found the gem. Which is nice all the rehashes as, as of late. You yeah, know what I was there, thinking about? There was about? a lot of uh, backlash on, uh, what is it, the uh, Might and Magic Heroes 3. Uh-huh. I was thinking the other day about the Leisure Suit Larry remake. I mean, that fell off the face of the earth, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, not actually literally, but yeah. It literally fell <laughs> off the face of the it, earth. Because it does think gravity just doesn't work that way. But yeah, fell into the black hole of games. That's cool. and, and the earth would have to be <laughs> flat for that to happen. Right. Um. Anyway, so, but it's good. It's worth playing. It's a good game. Um, but, and I don't want to take too long. So I'm going to talk about Kill a Kill because anime, and we haven't talked about anime in a while. Um, I gave up sh- on anime again. You shouldn't because it's great. Uh, and if you, if you go back to it again, maybe you should start with Kill a Kill. It's on Netflix. Tell me it's, more. Yes, it is. I said, tell me more. Oh, I thought you said not anymore. And I was like, not anymore. I just watched it yesterday. Uh, um, it's, it's hilarious. It's very, it has a very fully cooly kind of feel to it where you have this over-dramatization of typical anime tropes. And then what makes that even more amusing is that you have the main character, Riku Matoi, I think that's how you say her name, who, Robert can correct me if I'm wrong. No. <laughs> okay. And, and, um, and even she, she, like, she gets to the city, sort of points out the fact that all of these people are really over-dramatic about things, and that seems kind of off-putting and strange. Um, but she's not put off by the impending danger of this ominous school and the city's weirdos that she's wandering around with. So it's about this girl, the main character. She Someone killed her father, and she's come to this town and this crazy school, Homo, uh, Honoji Academy, seeking information about whoever killed her father. And the school is sort of by this girl is obsessed with being secure in world domination, more or less. And the whole city is built around the fact that students are the everything, which I think is sort of a poke at, at Japanese culture. And so the the level of student you are in the school dictates, first of all, how much abuse you're going to take and actual real abuse, not just bullying, and also where in the city you live. So all of the normal students live in the slum. And then everyone above that has these special uniforms with varying um, numbers of stars on that. So, like, there's one star level, there's two star level, there's three star level. And the higher you go, the more power you have. And they make and you superpowered because they the, are... The, there's a faction that likes to go nude. Yeah, so... so that's okay, awesome. So, that's so... That's <laughs> so anime. So... So as someone who, so the student council are like the elite of the school, and as someone who was on student council in school, and the fact that that meant little to nothing in real life, I have to say it was really nice to envision this school where the student council members are, they're not just respected, they're revered, because they're the elites, and they have these super, super powers, and they have uniforms that bestow superpowers. So then, while all that's going on, it gets a little shocking, because this perverted-seeming uniform meets Ryuko, and rips her clothes off, and demands... Perverted what uniform? A sailor uniform. I knew you would uh, like this blue. <laughs> yeah. Well, for a second there, I thought you said semen uniform. I'm like, no, wait, wait, what? I, oh, I said semen. Good night, everybody. I said seeming. It seems Covered. to be a perverted uniform. Not semen. <laughs> but but related because sailors. So it's the sailor uniform, and it jumps semen. on her. <laughs> I got your joke. 
<laughs> and and it demands to be worn and it like rips off her clothes and there's this whole scene like you know wouldn't be a Japanese anime if they didn't make fun of rape in some way so he says to her I'll make you wear me by force and then he pulls all her clothes off and then he's like ha a perfect fit and she's like screaming the whole time so that's you know a little shocking but it's done in a really lighthearted way it's, it's not so, tasteful, <laughs> so terrible um it's not terrible at all it's just one of those moments where like jesus so anyway um the uniforms are totally overly sexualized but again that's making fun of that whole See, you know, I think sailor I, moon remember remember my three eye roll limit on these i think i might have just passed it just i don't just, jeremy no, you've got to you at least watch the first episode. I've, I've you know what honestly though i have I've heard people what? talk about this one a lot. Because then people are always talking about this one. Oh, watch, God. watch the first three. The one, one yeah. of my favorites is when they try to go to school. They're trying to get to school before yeah. or what is it, eight a.m. I, I have, and it's just crazy that shit over the top. Yep, I mean, it's it's the school where it's basically like a fight academy and the fights are really great and it has all the things you want like a main character who's fighting for the right reasons and she's not strong enough at first but she keeps getting stronger and she keeps learning more about what to do and then it's interspersed with these hilarious weird moments that are not explained for a while like the professor who seems like an old man but then he does this suave thing where he pulls his his sunglasses up over his head and slicks his hair back and suddenly he's this like playboy looking guy and his clothes start like coming off by themselves and he's just sitting there talking or casually is yeah (laughs) and they're talking about like a normal discussion but and she you know points out the fact that this is inappropriate and why is this happening and his clothes just continue to slowly fall off all by themselves hey one quick question kind of on a side note did you guys ever see that tv show extras yeah and did you ever see the one where um stewart yes yes (laughs) (laughs) and and uh he he keeps he's telling him oh well I've I've got an idea for a movie and it's like X Men except I've got one power and it's to make women's clothes fall off yep. for example for example I'm going to rescue these these prisoners from from Iraq and and, and I rescue them but then <laughs> then I look at her and her clothes fall off and she's naked but it's too late and she tries to cover up but it's too late right. We've already seen it all, and it's just made them more funny because it's Patrick Stewart, the yes. noble, and he just like keeps he just like, keeps going on about it. Oh, and for example, there's a woman on a bike, and I look at her, and I think that woman's clothes should fall off, and they do, and she's yeah. going, oh, 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 I'm naked, and she tries to cover up, but it's too late. I've but that, seen everything. But that was sort of the appeal of that show was it was these personalities that you would probably not have attributed to these big stars, and then yeah, something you like you you maybe would see Orlando Bloom being a little, you know celebrity but you wouldn't ever see him as being so full of himself that he couldn't get over the fact that the one extra girl that won't sleep with him and now he's going crazy because he can't believe that anyone would not want to sleep with Orlando Bloom (laughs) how can you not do you know who I am how can you not want to sleep with me um anyway that's also a good show but um (laughs) back to yeah kill a kill right kill a kill is great you have the you have the side come up for air from anime every once in a just every five minutes so, Jeremy, just... you'd like this one. It's it's fully coolie esque. It makes fun of anime. It's got enough sexuality to be funny and alluring, but not like actually gross. It has great fight scenes, and it has a hilarious sidekick family that are lovable in their just complete and like oblivious villains. obnoxiousness. And is it one of your favorite villains? Yes, I love her. Really? Oh yeah. Huh. Well, that's fair. Or, um, She's just so ruthless. She is ruthless. It's true. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will on your recommendation on all of your recommendations. I will. I will try Kill the Kill. 
It's kind of it, like we should know, have a running button how far like Jeremy that. makes it. I I bet second I'll let you know when I hit my eye rolls on Twitter. Follow, follow me on Twitter. Find out when I roll my eyes. Eighteen minutes into the first episode, I'm calling it. Yeah, right it's here. like here's someone in a bathtub. Yep. But, but I will. But I will say this. I think for any anime, this is a fair statement to say you have to watch the first, at least three, maybe four. Because the first episode is always about getting some kind of character motivation set up, and it's not usually indicative of the rest of the series. And the and the second and third episode really sort of establish where the action is going. So I think if you're going to judge an anime, judge it not by its cover, but by the first three episodes. Did, did I tell you that uh, I I would finished... say there's a few shows that just hooked me from the first episode. It, it happens. Yeah. See, I, and, know, and, and I actually... would say at least 60%. Really? Honestly, though, yeah. I, I find Gen- that Genshiken, first... I just reviewed, or I'm about to review that in the, the Centric Family, uh, the first episode, oh my gosh, just just got me right away. I find that the first few episodes are actually generally really pretty good, yeah, assuming that you're you're down with the premise of it. I find that most of the time, maybe I mean, maybe not most, but often enough... By the end of a of a season or a, a you know a, what do they, what do they call it? They don't call them seasons, I guess, but the first series or whatever. Uh, it kind of collapses under its own weight, or they don't know what to do with it. Or, for example, I tell you guys, I had been watching The Devil's a Part Timer, and I got to the very end, and it just bleh, like it just stopped being interesting about halfway through, and it just came to be like this like droll slice of life anime. And uh, that's weird. I didn't feel kinda, that way. About it, it. it just yeah. did not. I have that problem with uh, with a lot of shows. I have that problem with Walking Dead. That's true. That's fair. You know, honestly, it is. Um, but but the thing that makes it because here's here's the thing, anime really has generally like really cool premises, like really interesting yeah. stuff that you just don't get in other places. And it mm-hmm. it's just I I think that's one of the reasons why I get so down on it sometimes because it just disappoints me so much. It's like oh that's awesome. There's you know, there's aliens, and there's this thing, and then I'm like, oh, it kind of starts not making sense anymore, and then actually I kind of stop caring about it. But you better it. remember that it's someone made, I mean, like, sometimes they're doing it off a of manga, so then they have material to work with, but sometimes it's someone who just is writing an anime, and then it gets really popular, and they have to be able to produce them, you know, often enough, and sometimes they just can't meet that demand. Yeah, until they I, I definitely, episodes that are, eh. in, in TV in general, I prefer something that has, a, has an arc land out. One of the best premise, premises I, I've heard uh, was for Saint Young Men. Have you guys heard about that one? Mm-hmm. It's Jesus and Buddha living in Tokyo, modern day. Really? Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of hanging out. Well, that sounds as like a, as being a live show or an anime. Anime, being vaguely okay. stonerish. That's that sounds like an American anime. Is that a Japanese anime? Yes, it is. That's awesome. Do you want just one quick final note? I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, an American anime that really broke my heart recently. Legend of Korra. Yeah, we know, Jeremy. It's the one cartoon you like. You talk about it every time. I, it, and it, you know what? It ended really poorly. Don't tell me. I, I Wait, why is that American? Yet. Oh, okay. Well, it ended. Because it's Korean and it's produced by American jokes. Not actually American anime. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's American anime. I, I Because Jeremy just picks nationalities and ascribes them to things without rhyme or reason. It's like JRPG, right? That Hungarian. Like, why, why even bother with the J? JRPGs are South American, right? Because there's Western so, RPGs. Warbergs. Yeah. <laughs> Warbergs. I don't know um, about Jeremy. 
I, I'm you, worried. You about don't it. know about. We, we need a kickstart. Save Jeremy fund. That's we, the premise for a TV show. I don't know about Jeremy. And the premise is that we all fly to where you are, and we lock your family out of your house and tie you down and make you watch anime. <laughs> That's that TV show. Super like mystery science theater three thousand, where you see like the backs of our heads and the silhouettes on the screen at the same and then time. and Jeremy's head is like tied up with like <laughs> things on his. I'm eyes. imagining more Clockwork Orange, where we keep his eyes open. <laughs> That's kind of weird yeah, to me, huh? Yeah. Something's wrong with me. <laughs> the, wow, this got dark fast. <laughs> okay. On a lighter note, Blue, what have you been playing? I'm going to give you guys the choose-your-own-adventure option. Ooh. You can either first hear about what I've been playing recently, or you can hear about my mad dash in an amiibo hunt. That one. I'm going to go with E. It in. <laughs> I want to hear about the games. Uh, uh, I want to hear about the Amiibos. Well, don't you remember the, the anti-Amiibo yeah. diatribe from last last? I do. That's exactly why I want to hear about the Amiibos. <laughs> um, well, Jeremy, you're the tiebreaker here. Your pick. Uh, games, please. Surprise, surprise. Games it is. <laughs> well, ever since Christmas, I kind of I've, I've kind of settled into... I wouldn't call it quite a rut, but more like a comfortable groove recently. It's like I've been ping-ponging between three different, surprisingly enough, 3DS games. It's like ever since I got the Wii U, um, I feel like I've just kind of just been gravitating towards Nintendo systems and games again, just at a pure hardcore level. I think you're not alone in that. I think Nintendo has sort of experienced a little bit of a bump in the last, you know, six months. Yeah, I, I think, and I think... A lot of it was was Smash Brothers, to tell you the truth. I, I think that, that kind of that plus the Amiibos. Um, I, I think they that just really put Nintendo back back on people's radars again when they yeah. just kind of tuned out. Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. I think that was the two cards that they played, and I guess it remains to be seen if they have any more cards to play. Well, I mean, they got uh, uh, Majora's Mask 3D coming out. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it'll sell systems, good. but yeah. But uh, the the three games I've really been you know ping ponging around, and I'll just mention this one quickly is um, is uh, Animal Crossing New Leaf. That's kind of become my uh, my Zen relaxation, just kind of chill out in the evening kind of game. You know, I'll go in. Oh, hey, I got a couple of fossils I need to find, and you know, I'll have uh, I'll have the owl appraise them, and then I'll flip them for bells, and I'll put that money back into my. Uh, my public works projects. I've been trying to save up uh, seven hundred thousand bells for like some sort of like a Tokyo Tower esque tower that I'm putting in my town, and I finally paid it off today. So I'm <laughs> ecstatic about that. Now I can go back to paying off my house. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, in general, it's, Animal Crossing is just one of those games where you know I loved it on the GameCube. I loved it even more on the th- on the uh, original DS, which, uh, surprisingly enough, it's been ten years since Animal Crossing Wild World came out, and it's just that just kind of blew my mind when I thought about it. Um, that was the second one, right? It came out on GameCube first. Didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, that's uh, it. Actually, uh, I think actually that's the third one because there was the uh, Animal Forest over in Japan on the N sixty four, and that never came out over here. You know, it's it's just it's always been one franchise that I just I keep going back to until I just don't and i try to go back and i like find my entire town covered in weeds and i'm like i am not plucking all of these damn things <laughs> and turn the game off you know it's just you know it, i i don't really know what else to say besides it's animal crossing it's just it, it just has that perfect 
Nintendo magic to it that just keeps you coming back for more. It's, you know, it's it's like a slice of life video game. You, I mean, you hear about slice of life animes where it's nothing really, you know, super compelling story or whatever. It's just basically just the day-to-day routine that keeps you coming back. And, you know, with Animal Crossing, it's, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm enjoying going, you know, going around town and, you know, maybe somebody will need, um, you know, need me to take a present over to this other character who is walking like three feet away from them at this t- at the time they're talking about talking to me about taking the present over to them. Yeah, you do kind of get the feeling sometimes that you're living amongst a, a whole bunch of developmentally challenged people. <laughs> <laughs> like you're the one person, and you can either rule like you know as a, an evil tyrant and like take advantage of their kind and simple nature. Or you can take, you know, these socks to, you know, Bob the cat who is just walking right over there. Yeah, yeah it's just, you know, it's not anything that's, you know, that strenuous or, you know, mentally, or, you know, mentally, I, I was going to use the phrase mentally challenging, but I that didn't necessarily come out right. Um, you know, it's just just a very easygoing game and sometimes that's just all i really want it's you know i I don't necessarily need to have something that's like a you know demon souls pound you in the crotch repeatedly with cleated shoes difficult you know (laughs) but um you know that's one game i've been you know ping-ponging around um back at christmas i got uh super smash brothers for 3ds and you know this Smash Brothers really surprised me because, you know, I knew it was good. I, you know, I, I always, you know, I, I've always enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed it, you know, way back on the N64. And, um, you know, when I tried it out on 3DS at, oh, I want to say it was a Toys R Us. It's like I tried to play it in several different places. And, you know, unsurprisingly, if you've heard some of the reports that came out of Japan when the game came out over there, it's like all the demo units would have the uh, little control pad or, you know, the little control uh, circle pad broken off on their Smash Brothers display units. And, um, you know, it's like when I saw that, I'm thinking, oh, God, do I really want to get this game? It's going to kill my 3DS. And, you know, I've been playing it, you know, a couple of times a week, you know, for, you know, an hour or more. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, the th- my 3DS is holding up. And, you know, it's it's appealing to me in a way that, you know, it's Smash Brothers game really hasn't since maybe, uh, I want to say Melee back on the GameCube. I mean, I really enjoyed, you know, Brawl on on the original Wii. But, you know, it's like Melee on the GameCube, that was my jam, yo, back in the GameCube days. And I'm, I'm surprised at how well the 3DS port has basically taken the style of the console Smash Brothers games and converted it into a handheld. Now, granted, when you're playing on the original 3DS, you got a small screen, and sometimes you lose sight of your characters. But from a pure gameplay standpoint, it is practically one-to-one, or they're or pretty close to it, with you know Smash Brothers on the Wii U. Um, of course, the difference being... Uh, the stage roster is almost completely different. You have a couple of stages, you know, like uh, the Punch-Out Boxing Ring or the Final Destination stages or whatever that are in both versions, but 
the stage roster is by and large different on the 3DS. And quite frankly, I think the 3DS got some of the better stages. Um, yeah. Uh, like, for example, uh, one stage is based off of uh, Zelda Spirit Tracks. I mean, a lot of the stages are, are based on Nintendo portable games. On, like, the handheld. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, they'll have, like, um, like a Kirby's Dreamland stage that is basically, you know, a Game Boy screen, and the center of the screen is... Kirby's Dreamland for the original Game Boy, and you're battling on like that, uh, like a puke green screen of the original Game Boy, huh. and um, you know, uh, it, it, and they I, and at one stage I really wish was in the Wii U version is a stage based on the original F Zero game, and we we're talking the original F Zero stage the original music and even the sprites are exactly the same as the super as uh, the super nintendo game and it's like oh god i wish they would just release you know the stage dlc for you know for the wii u version because i would just love to have this on the console on the big screen tv you know um but uh i mean aside from that aside from that um the uh, 3DS version has a limited con- connectivity with uh, the Wii U version. You can use the 3DS as a controller, or you can transfer your um, uh, your created me characters from the Wii U to the 3DS, or vice versa. But there really isn't there really isn't that much else as far as connectivity goes. I, I would have liked it if you had been able to transfer your trophies back and forth. Because that's that's like a big deal in Smash is the trophy collection, you know. And sometimes you don't want to ha- necessarily go through the adventure mode just to get the same trophy that you already have on the Wii U version, but this time you can see it in 3D, you know. And well, actually, as far as the 3D goes, it's like um, some of the trophies when you're zooming in, you like you see like a character with their hand hanging out, or you know, with their hand stretched out whatever it's like when you're looking at those things in 3d i mean it's like you can kind of understand why nintendo decided to go with 3d to begin with because it really does look like like it is ripping straight out of the screen and going for your face (laughs) i like that i like playing 3d i'm actually looking forward to the new 3ds uh i I tried it for a few minutes over uh over at gamestop and i gotta tell you i mean you know i I was I, i intentionally was like twisting it left and right to see what the uh with the face detection, you know, screen. Uh, yeah, screen like the adaptive. Feature. Yeah, and uh, it works really well. I mean, it's like you know, with the original 3DS, it's like you can't you can't move left or right at all. Otherwise, you'll see like the screen kind of flip a little bit or or jump a little bit. And with um, you know, I mean, I only played it for maybe like a minute or t- a minute or so while I was in GameStop. But uh, um, Majora's Mask, it's like it's like when you. T- tilt that screen it's like you'd see the 3d change with it and it would hold the 3d <laughs> man i wonder how that works it's it's mind-boggling stuff i can't say i can't i can't figure it out <laughs> but i mean and of course um because of the new 3ds i'm imagining that at some point the smash brothers on 3ds is going to get amiibo support uh, yes in fact that is confirmed the, it is confirmed. Yeah, the new 3DS is going to have a near-field uh, component to it, so they will be adding Amiibo support. It's supposed oh to be boy. patched in. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that they 
maybe patch in some of the stages from the Wii U version too. It's like you know, it's you know, I mean, quite frankly, the stages make all the difference between the two versions. I mean, this you know, most of the single player content is the same, except you have like a like a five minute uh, like a smash run mode where you run through like a giant two D stage and you beat the crap out of different enemies from all these different games. I mean, you'll have uh, you know characters from Donkey Kong Country, Mario, uh, Kid Icarus, I think uh, even Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just an incredible roster of villains, and you beat them up, and you get stat increases. And at the end of, of five minutes, all four characters that are running around this, the giant stage are then put into like either uh, you know a, a traditional Smash or like. Uh, who can climb the tower the highest uh, challenge mode. And, I mean, it, quite frankly, it's like, that's like one big mode difference for the 3DS, and I think the 3DS version got the got got the one up over the Wii U's, kind of like a Mario Party-inspired, um, like Smash Tour, I think it's called, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, honestly, if, if you have enjoyed a Smash Brothers game, at any point, you're probably going to want to get the 3DS version, even if you have the Wii U version. It's it, it, it does enough differently, and even though the character roster is the same, you know, I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's it's definitely worth picking up because the stages are different and they have a different nostalgia to them. You know, it's I I'm I'd kill for, to get that F Zero stage on there. I kind of like that. I mean, I think that's kind of neat that they have distinguishing features. But do you want to know what? Uh, like character brawling arena battle fighting game has platform parody on uh, portable and console and is super awesome. I think I know that game. PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale. That's oh yeah. About. Jeremy's announcing that. Like that is a very very good it. game. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. If I can mention it in every show, I get a uh, I get a I get a sexy gif character. from Polygon Man. <laughs> you get to be the Jeremy Lamont shrill <laughs> yeah. in the non-existent sequel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. that game, but uh, it was awesome. Robert here. Today I'm being joined by no other than Ryan Coombs, lead developer for Honey Pop, a recently released PC title that blends elements of the dating sim with a surprisingly deep match three puzzler. So uh, before we start, I think uh, we should get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, Ryan, would you mind sharing your favorite color, season food, and your chest size with us? <laughs> oh, I, I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. No, no, I'm going to do it. You okay. asked, and I'm going to supply the answers. <laughs> Color? It's, it's not pink, because I've been looking at pink for almost the past year and a half, and I'm pretty sick of it. Right, okay. Um, 
What were the other ones? Season? Season, season. Autumn? Yeah, autumn, autumn seems to be a popular one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And chest and size. Oh, chest size. Uh, That's a big one. B and a half, <laughs> if such a size exists. But, you know, it's it's been a while since I've been to the gym, so I'm going to I'm gonna hit the gym. Yeah. We're going to look to get that down, down to about an A. Just like the Honey Pop girls. Some of exactly. them are always at the gym. Now, now, before we chat about the girls, uh, let's talk a little bit about your experience before Honey Pop. Uh, you worked for both Activision and Insomniac. What games did you work on? Uh, so at Insomniac, I probably worked on Insomniac's least known game, um, which is, have you ever heard of Outer Notes? Yes, Jeremy uh, talked about it for 20 minutes a few episodes back. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was... I, there's there's actually two versions of Outernauts. There's one for the web, the Facebook Facebook yeah version, and then there's um, yeah, and then there's they uh, more recently released the mobile version, uh, which I had nothing to do with. So I I was actually brought into Insomniac um, when the uh, uh, Facebook version of Outernauts was very early in development. Uh, I was part of the small team that sort of helped um, get that off the ground. Uh, um, and for Activision, Activision was just a contract gig. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't very long. It was just uh, about a month and a half, um, and it was for a very particular um, component of the uh, companion uh, mobile app for the Call of Duty Ghosts uh, game. Now, now, leaving Insomniac, I, I assume you were in the Burbank location. Not, Correct, uh, North Carolina. It, that must have been a bit of a tough decision for you. Uh, what prompted uh, you to to fly solo? Uh, it was a tough decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what prompted me is just, uh, I guess, sort of just the entrepreneurial itch, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never really had a job where I worked at where I wasn't where some portion of me wasn't thinking, you know, looking outside <laughs> the window, thinking, you know, what if. Uh, or whatever, but 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 yeah, it was. I mean, Insomniac is 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 one of the best studios you'll ever work at. I'm sure you you'll you'll hear that from any uh, ex Insomniac. So um, yeah, I mean, the people are great. It was it was really tough leaving my team. We kind of had a small, uh, intimate team going uh, there for Outer Knots. So it was a tough decision. But and at times during you know over the course of the Honey Pop, it seemed like a stupid decision. Uh, but uh, I think everything worked out in the end. So, so let's get to Honey Pop. How was the, the game first conceptualized? Uh, were you a fan of dating sims going into the design doc? It, it, not really, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. I think it was the <laughs> fact that I wasn't really a fan is, is, is in large part what inspired it, right? Um, I don't, um, you know, I, I always get crucified for this online, but I don't particularly like visual novels. And a lot of what modern dating sims are these days are visual novels. Sure. Um, at least outside of, of uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't particularly care for those. I'm, I'm just not big on story in games. Um, yeah. Like the only current current gen console I own is Wii U because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's there's no company that knows how to put gameplay above story and everything else for that matter more than Nintendo. So I, I tend to like those games. Um, yeah. So so it was actually my you know uh, the, the fact that I, I I couldn't really find a dating sim that I enjoyed. Uh, particularly one that really had a strong focus on uh, gameplay that, that um, in part inspired Honey Pop. The other part is I, video games and, and chicks are my two favorite things <laughs> in the world, 
<laughs> right. Well, so to find mash, a way to com- mash them together. Exactly. Right. Now, I mean, you're, you're not really big on story, but one of the things, uh, at least I noticed, for Honey Pop to work, the girls must have interesting personalities. And I want to know how you went about making each woman more than a collection just of traits. Uh, Iko admits she, she's a bit of a contradiction between her occupation and her hobby. And uh, Belly, her, her conversational style is radically different than, say, Jesse or Audrey's. And so a lot of work went into defining each of those. How did, how did you do that? So it's, it's, the writing process was, was very interesting. This is the first thing I've ever written seriously. And, and, and I put seriously in quotation marks because I, I, I very intentionally wanted to, to uh, look at the process of writing this game not very seriously at all, right? I didn't, I didn't want to take myself seriously. I didn't want the game to take itself very seriously. And I, I'm sure that shows as you play through it. Um, so that was kind of a foundation for me. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, it's, you say, you know, a lot of work must have went into it. But it, it, I, th- I think it's actually more that uh, a lot of work didn't go into it. <laughs> I, 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 I almost, I, I sort of made a commitment to myself in the beginning that um, I, I wasn't going to overanalyze and overcritique my own own work when it came to writing yeah. uh, particularly I, I mean I'm sure you know writers I'm sure you know game developers Indian professional uh, really any creative person I think uh, we all have a tendency to overanalyze our own work to hate everything that we make um, you know the, the the next hour after we've made it um, and uh, for writing particularly because it was such a new thing for me I, I, I committed as, as much as I could and, uh, I don't want to make it sound like there wasn't struggles there wasn't times where I was, you know, suffering um, some severe self-doubt, uh, particularly when it comes to writing. But uh, I, I committed as much as I could to just accepting whatever came out of, of, the, of the pen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the personalities just sort of naturally arose. I, I, I use, um, I pull a lot of the dialogue from personal experiences. I don't, um yeah, I, I, I yeah, I didn't I didn't look to like traditional uh visual novels and um you know I, whatever whatever type of game you want to call these games, I guess. Um I, I just pulled more from, from sort of uh, the Western reality that, that I've experienced in, in, in a lot of my uh day to day encounters. Now now one thing I have to politefully disagree with you. Uh dating sims traditionally mm-hmm. Um, they, they use conversation to represent self-disclosure uh, as players get to know the characters. Now, you've taken that a step further by using the match three puzzler to uh, represent the actual date. Uh, here, players have to be careful not to match the wrong item, uh, which are represented by broken hearts, while they try to win uh, affection, try to earn more time, and cultivate sentiment. It's a surprisingly complicated allegory for the real-life activity. And I want to know, how did you conceptualize this? Um, so it's interesting that puzzle stuff wasn't actually originally like in the design document. Originally, it was just a pure dating sim, whatever that means, right? A pure dating sim. Um, so more along the lines of, um, uh, you know, obviously it had the, the, the chatting components uh, and that, but it was more along the lines of uh, uh, do, doing activities to yeah. raise your Mm-hmm. player traits like fitness you know intelligence mm-hmm. i'm sure you've played this type of game before like, like, um so it was more along the lines selection. of that 
Exactly. Right. That's what it was. And that is why, like, you know, I was, I was months into development where, you know, I had some type of prototype going for that um, type of game. And I, it just, it wasn't fun enough. It didn't feel right at all. This, this didn't feel like a game I was happy with. So I, I sort of set out to add something to this that would uh, uh, both fit the overall theme in some sense, you know, in some metaphorical or poetic sense, and, and also be be really fun uh, and, and addictive, and and just 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 fit perfectly in the overall sort of game loop um, that I had intended. So um, I, I toyed around with a, a bunch of ideas. Some of the ideas were just insanely stupid. Like there was this one point where I was, you know, I was all excited about this card battle date thing that I had going on. Sure. Um, but I ended up going with the puzzle. Um, I, I originally took a look at Puzzle Quest. That was sort of the base that I used because um, I always enjoyed that game. Um, though there are many aspects I didn't enjoy about it, and I particularly tried to uh, fix those with Honey Pop. Um, but that's. So that was sort of the base I used, and then I, I, I just expanded from there. I iterated on that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, really it was just a, a process of iteration. You, you know, you test, you try new things, and eventually you come out with something that somebody enjoys, hopefully. You know, subjectively speaking, um, I found the game wasn't as immoral as uh, some might have found. And, and I actually found perhaps a bit of moralizing lurking deep inside the code. Let me explain. Um, I, I met Belly early on and found myself thinking about her while out with the other girls. So basically, you've tricked me into monogamy. And I want to know, <laughs> was, was this intended? Uh, and according to focus testing, how, how did uh, most players, how did they approach Honey Pop? Um, so, I mean, I have no focus testing data. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, the only, the only testers I've had were near the very end of the product, uh, development cycle, uh, and it was just my friends, and uh, it, no, very few, if any of my friends, are really even particularly interested in this type of game. So the focus testing data I have is is me, right? My personal experience with the game. Um, with regards to the morality, um, I I could say I'm just as surprised as you, I guess, that <laughs> it seems like the majority of people don't take any particular issue with um, with the game, you know, in terms of, of immorality, um, which is kind of a surprise to me, you know, with all the, the tension uh, in in uh, our culture today. Uh, it, it was a pleasant surprise, I guess. Or, I don't know, I mean, maybe I was looking for an exciting thing to go down. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, it wasn't really intended one way or the other. Like, like I said, I just, I just, you know, as cliche as it sounds, I just kind of wrote from my heart. I just kind of wrote what makes sense to me. You know, I don't, um, I, I, it's there's probably not too many people that are, I guess, happily willing to admit this. But you know, I, when it comes to dating and, and romance in real life, it's not something that I take very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm me personally, I'm not really out there looking for love, love at, at this point <laughs> in my life. Right. Um, so, and and I know there must be a lot of other people out there like that. So mm-hmm. that was sort of my mentality going into it. Now. If you if you fell in love with 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 your wife and belly, um, hey, that's cool too. You know, I have no problem with that. <laughs> that's a happy coincidence. As far yeah, as yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting about the game. Now, now one thing. Um, speaking of controversy, uh, I've read that uh, Honey Pop was recently banned from Twitch. Now, obviously, that's for the uncensored version. But does the the does the rule no, apply it, to the it, Steam version as well? It does. It apply it applies to all versions. Um, yeah. Well, because both versions contain nudity, right? Okay. 
but the uh, the uncensored version is is really nasty. So yeah, but uh, yeah, the, the, I don't I don't know Twitch's rules exactly, but my understanding is that they're pretty strict. So it it, it comes as no surprise to me whatsoever that um, Honey Pop was banned. In fact, I was kind of just waiting for it to happen. Mm-hmm. So so was this bit of uh, notoriety? Has, has that been helping the game? Do you think? Uh, I I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's only one thing I can say for sure. Uh, that's that's one event since launch that's helped. Uh, sales in any significant way and that was uh <laughs> that was basically the the event that got it banned from twitch which was uh the popular streamer soda poppin uh was was playing it uh and, and a bunch of people hopped on and were watching um that that seems to have caused the the most significant spike um it's really it's hard for me to say if, if anything since then mm-hmm. uh, any any other of uh, you know any other commotion uh, or buzz going on has, has had any uh, real true uh, impact. Um, you know, one thing, uh, you talked a little bit about the uncensored version. Did you hold back on anything? Were there any ideas that you just thought were too dirty? Uh, so it, it's, it, it's funny you ask. Originally, it wasn't, there wasn't going to be any nudity uh, at all. Uh, when I launched the Kickstarter campaign, it, that really wasn't the intent. Um, but uh, it was so overwhelmingly requested by backers uh, and fans alike that uh, I just couldn't say no. So um, there were two things. There was that, and then there was the Yuri mode, you know, or play as a girl mode. Um, those were both highly requested uh, by, by, by Kickstarter backers. So I decided to uh, include them. And, uh, um, well, yeah. True yeah. fan service. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, reader Paranerd, he wanted to know a little bit more about the voice cast. Uh, have they done any work we might have heard before? Uh, some of them, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Others, it's 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 funny. Um, the the very first voice actress on the project is Q in the fairy, mm-hmm. um, and that is my friend uh, Jamie. Well, I call her Jamie. Other people call her Jack, mm-hmm. um, and she she's had no. Uh, uh, certainly no video game, you know, professionally mm-hmm. done work for. So this is her first video game. It may even be her first, uh, you know, professional piece of of, of any significant notoriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think she did a bang a bang out job on it. Honestly, sure. I, I really I really didn't expect it to be so great uh, for her first. Did you get to di- thing. did you get to direct uh, for the bonus round some of the voice work for that? <laughs> no, I, no. I, I, I sent I sent that out and just you know listened to it with a red face after it came back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one last question for one of our readers, uh, Twilight Dusk. He wanted to know uh, about a potential sequel or DLC for the game. Yeah, I've been asked about that a lot. Um, all I can say right now is that um, our focus at this moment is on getting all of our, our current players situated. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a few guys with technical issues. We're working with them. We're trying to get that solved. And then and after that sort of settled, settles down for the most part, uh, we have to turn our attention to fulfilling the rest of the Kickstarter rewards. Uh, we have to get the, you know, the, al- the music album, the art book, and all the physical rewards together and get them shipped out. Once that's done, we can we can look at what the next steps might be. So I can't really answer the question right now, unfortunately. But we'll we'll, we'll be at that phase soon enough. Get those love pillows out first. That's right. <laughs> well, Brian, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by and giving us a insider's look into Honey Pop. Uh, on behalf of the readers and listeners, I want to thank you. No problem. It was awesome. Thanks for having me on. 
You guys ready for trivia? Yes. Yeah. All right. Got some good. I think they're pretty good questions this week. To make to make up for they're always good questions. The last show was kind of a dead. No, 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 no. It was. It was. It was an experiment. They were good. All right, question one this week. The eShop sees the release of Game & Watch Gallery 3 for the 3DS, a game that recreates five of the handheld devices that once propelled Nintendo into mainstream popularity. Name the completely fictitious title that isn't part of the collection. Is it A, Egg, where you catch your eggs before they hatch? B, Circuit, keep the city powered by keeping the current of electricity flowing? C, Turtle Bridge, carry the packages across the turtles' backs? Or D, Donkey Kong Jr. Grab the key and free Donkey Kong. I have a, I have a question. Are these the same compilations that were the... And this is the second time I've mentioned Club mm-hmm. Nintendo. But you know Club Nintendo had the DS carts rest that were peace. collections. Is the, Yeah, rest in peace. Uh, the, is this I, the same? I believe so. The same one? Yeah, it, I believe so. Because I, I, I got the first collection of Game & Watch stuff from Club Nintendo, but I never got the second one, so... Maybe I don't have to worry about it now. Uh, I'm going to say Turtles is the fictitious one. Um, I'm going to say the circuit one. <laughs> you were listening to me this time. I'm yeah, I was listening. surprised, man. Yeah. What day is today? we got to mark this down. Yeah. It's not that I don't do. listen. It's that audibles are hard for me. I'm Just a I visual person. No, I'm a visual <laughs> kinesthetic learner. Audibles are hard for me. Okay. Great for podcasting. Blue. <laughs> um, no, it was Game & Watch Gallery 3. 3. Was that the uh, Game Boy Color game? I thought... I don't know if these were compilations. Before. I thought it was Jeremy mentioned that was a um, Nintendo Club reward. But I'm not I mean, sure. It's it could have been well, they did have the, they did have, uh, the, uh, the Club Nintendo compilations, but they also had like the three... Game of Watch Gallery games on the Game Boy back in the mid to late 90s. Right. I think they even had a fourth one on the Game Boy Advance, but I'm not sure about that. Well, after this, you better get it right. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I want to say there was a Donkey Kong game in that, if, I, if indeed I am thinking about the right one. My only rationalization was I was thinking that Donkey Kong might be a little too complicated for a Game & Watch game. Like, yeah, I, I mean, even if it's like a little trimmed down. I think you're... Uh... Underestimating the Game and Watch power. <laughs> I mean, of course, there were a lot of LCD games back then too. Tape together. Um, I think I will go with. I think I'll go with Circuit. It's been a long time since I've played Game and Watch Gallery Three, so I have an excuse. Correct answer. I... Turtle Circuit. Oh. Yeah. Okay, number two this week also sees the continuation of Moon Chronicles, Renegade Kids Three. 3DS-based, episodic, first-person shooter. Which of the following is not a feature in the game? Is it A, CirclePad Pro support? B, 60 frames per second delivery with 3D on? C, shadow maps, texture filtering, and mitt maps? Or D, an exclusive rifle that's unlocked via via the Street Pass component? Mm. You know, I got I got that first chapter, which I think is the entirety of the original DS game. Mm-hmm. And these new chapters are, are brand new add-on sections, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, I it's going to be either the first one or the last one. Uh, I, Robert, say the second and third th- once again. I'm sorry. Bitmaps and shadow. Second with 3D. 
yeah. shadow shadow maps, texture filtering, and mip maps. Technology. Some games have yeah. been able to do 60 frames per second even in 3D, so I think that was probably safe. I'm going to say no street pass support. I kind of agree with that, too. That doesn't seem like the kind of game that would necessarily be the most popular street pass title out there. I say texture mapping, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Correct answer. Street circle pass. pad. Street pass. Yes! <laughs> yeah. God, for a minute I thought it was circle pad. So does that mean it's going to support the nub on the new 3DS? I believe so. I guess it will. Yeah. From what I from what I understand, it's completely backwards compatible. Anything that did support is the Is it the official name, nub? I don't know. It's just what it is, though. But it's so lame. Why didn't I thought they just the PSP another... had the nub. With it does have nub. It does have a nub. But, I mean, this is, I mean if, there was a, if there ever were a nub that nubbed... It would, it would be the new 3DS. Yes. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like it. worthless little joystick in the middle of laptops. Yeah, they, the, the, Dell, yes, yes. the Dell little thing. Yeah, those things That's gross. Annoy the hell I, I don't know why they didn't just shift everything over and just put another circle pad on the other side. It doesn't seem that hard. Yeah, that would have been the way to go. Number three, the eShop is also putting out Dig Dug, a version of the 1982 arcade coin art classic, which, uh, which is part of Namco's complicated family tree. Which of the following statements isn't true about the main character? A. Namco officially gave the protagonist the name Dig Dug. In B. In any Namco games, the character is referred to as Taizo Hori. C. The hero was once married to Toby Kissy Masuyo, the heroine of Baru Duke. D. The couple had three children, including Susumu Hori the main character of Mr. Driller, or E, Namco has promised that Kissy and Dig Dug would reconcile for a new game due before the original cabinet's 35th anniversary. See, I feel like there's a way to figure this out, because since some of those things relate to a marital, divorcial sort of timeline... Uh, Robert, it's which one isn't true? Yes. And you, what the first one was that... They're all, all of them are called Dig Dug? Was that the yeah. first one or the second the, one? That Namco officially gave, uh, named the protagonist Dig Dug. And what was the second uh, in, one? In Namco games, the character is referred to as Taizo Hori. <sighs> Fuck. <laughs> I know. Hmm, that's no. put it in. I'm... You know what? You know what you should do for like the 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 Jeopardy music to this. You should do the the new Dig Dug song that they discovered. Oh, with the, the Chubby Checker song. Yeah, maybe, maybe that might this. be the outro. Dig Dug dance. Oh my god, that would be amazing. I'm gonna say A. I'm gonna say D. I'm gonna say B is the one where he was named Tizer. Hori. Hori. I thought that was someone else. So I'm gonna say that, that one. Correct answer. Well, I will tell you that I, I do know that that Mr. Driller is Susumu Hori. I do know that Dig Dug is Taizo Hori. I <laughs> don't know about this thing. The marriage <laughs> and divorce. I mean, in a bitter divorce. I guess that. Well, I guess so. I mean, I, this is news to me. I, I did not know about that part of it. And then that they. The more they you know, I don't know. I don't feel. I don't know. I guess. I guess. What does Namco ever? Does Namco typically promise things for its for its players? I guess we'll find out when Robert reveals the correct answer. Correct answer. I'm sorry, guys, but but Kissy and Dig Dug, they're not going to reconcile. 
No. That was a mere I'm heartbroken. What hope do the rest of us have? <laughs> Does anyone remember Kissy? I, you know, I had no idea that. I, I wonder if that... the uh, the uh, the game is actually Bar Bar Duque, not Bukake. I... <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, I'm surprised I... that the word Bukake does not get mentioned more on this show. Yes, we're trying to amp it up more. We have we have put it in for that. That's why. <laughs> Next yeah, question. Also on the eShop is Mappy Land, a console-only sequel to the 1983 arcade hit Mappy. You guys played that one? Little I mouse. played Mappy Land. Nope. Yeah. Play... Uh, maybe okay. I played. Okay, well, Mappy Land. Mappy, was there an NES version of Mappy? Uh, yes. What's most interesting is that the title was created by Tose, a Kyoto-based ghost studio, who, despite making over a thousand games since its founding in 1979, has only been credited for a few. Name the title that the developer, that's Tose, isn't responsible for. Is it A, a 1981 scrolling four-way shooter by the name of Vanguard? B, Bases Loaded for the NES? C, The Legend of Mystic Ninja for the SNES? C, Thousand Arms for the PlayStation? D, Ultimate Ghouls and Ghosts for the PSP? Or E, Princess, or Super Princess Peach? For the DS, which one did they not make? This is rough. Those guys are prolific. Yeah, and, they make um, everything. The they only thing like they deserve much more recognition. Actually, it's funny because there is a game that I have on my PSP that I got digitally on the store called Susume Tactics that I have wanted to talk about on this show for a long time. I don't think I ever got to talk about it, hmm. uh, but I believe that they are actually. And it may, in fact, be the last game because I don't think they do. They still exist. Were they? Yeah, I they were still closed around. or something. No, oh. Anyway, Robert, they got—they definitely got credited for it. Robert, what were the second and third ones? I always miss two and bases, three somehow. Bases loaded. <laughs> the mind wanders. Bases loaded for the NES or the Legend of Mystic Ninja for the SNES. Oh man! I think the first one was uh, what's it? Uh, Van- Vanguard. Do you guys remember Vanguard? Vanguard? No. Like scramble, but you could shoot in four directions. This is one of my favorites as a kid. I don't remember. I'm, I'm um, gonna go with the mystical ninja. I'm gonna go with Vanguard. I feel like they made a lot of Japanese things. That's kind of what I was thinking too. So bases loaded. Yeah. I I that's the thing. Like I'm thinking baseball, but but they kind of but they probably Baseball's made that big sport. <laughs> well, the, but the others though. are all but the others are all lighthearted titles, and the legend of the Mystic Ninja just sounds so serious. And, and Super Princess Peach oh. seems like it would be no, no. Of course, Nintendo made that, but probably not. <laughs> These guys probably made it. Uh, and I know if I pick that, it's going to be a wrong answer. So I'll I'll go with I'll go with bases loaded. That's going to be wrong. I, I think you know. Uh, baseball is pretty popular over in Japan. And my, I mean, my other answer would be Super Princess Peach, but I'm sure that that's somehow like the secret thing that they did because it's kind of a weird game. Mm-hmm. So the, the correct answer it. is the game. I saved up money to purchase, and when I took it home, I opened up the uh, I opened up the cartridge box, and inside was a deck of index cards instead of the cartridge. Whoa! Really? Oh, yes. What the fuck? And that is the Legend of Mystic Ninja. A Konami game. <laughs> oh, and and, and uh, it was actually fairly lighthearted. It's more of a Konami Oh, wow. Well. You know. But the title sounds serious compared to the other ones. <laughs> it does, but it was not too serious. It was like one of those translations. <laughs> great. 
Yeah. Fair okay. enough. Last question this week's release of Evolve might be something of an accomplishment for the development team at Turtle Rock, a studio that once closed after being bought out by Valve. While Valve extended an offer to let the Lake Forest-based team join them in Seattle, some of the remaining members stayed behind and worked on which project? A, an automotive maintenance app named Garage Buddy. B, an augmented reality base game called Blip Wars. C, and they assisted with the production of WWE 2K15. Or D, co-development duties on Spec Ops The Line. Ooh. Turtle Rock. What were they doing? Part of Turtle Rock. So, th- so this is actually Not Fraggle Turtle Rock. Rock. Okay. Fraggle Rock, man. <laughs> Turtle Rock. <laughs> you know, that show needs to make a comeback. No. Uh, I loved Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock is great. Did you just slander Fraggle Rock? Yes, no, I, I said I loved Fraggle Rock. No, Robert. Yes, I, I didn't care for it. I loved that. Literally Fraggle forever, man. He's my spirit animal. Um, is Fraggle Rock related to Rockadoodle? No, no not, not even a little. Did you, <laughs> did you have on that list that Valve is contributing to a Portal movie? No. no, I didn't have anything. Because are they making... are with J.J. Abrams, which I am excited about. My mother about. says that my father-in-law what reads the paper and makes JJ... up to based on pictures. And I feel like Sage like kind of listens to Robert's voice and makes pictures. <laughs> <laughs> she she doesn't actually listen the to the word. She listens to my voice. <laughs> she just hears... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going with that one. Okay. I'm not good at listening to Get that to, poker to, voice. Like Get in that school, I needed voice. the teachers that wrote on the. You guys are jerks. Wall. I want to answer that they worked wall. on Spec Ops, but I kind of want to too. My heart tells me that they probably would have done something experimental, like the augmented reality game. So I'm going to answer that. Come on, uh, Mark, don't don't steer me wrong. I kind of don't think they did anything with WWE 2K15 because I know visual concepts. Uh, took over or did a lot um, on that. Um, but... oh, what the hell? I'll be adventurous. I'll say they did uh, do something with Spec Ops the line. I walk the line. I don't know what anything is anymore, so I'm just going to pick a letter B. The movie. Great dancer. Letter B. Super Princess Peach. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what? The, the garage, <laughs> garage buddy. The auto, automotive maintenance. App. Really? Is that, is that what they did? Yeah, that's what they did. Was that B? Did I get it right? I think no, that was no, A. No, that was Blip Wars. That was the uh, Fuck. augmented reality. <laughs> wow, that's interesting, though. Type of stuff. Yeah. That's trivia. Very good. I like those. Very good. Very good. Very good return to form. Thank you. Thank you. I'm taking a bow. And speaking was... of taking, you want to take us home, Sage? <gasps> Me? Yeah. I haven't done it in so long, I don't know if I remember everything. That's what she said. <laughs> That's really awful. <laughs> um, we are the Tech Gaming Podcast. We love delivering our podcasts to you. If you would like to pay attention to and follow the other things we do, like video game reviews, you should go to techgaming.com. You can also follow all of us on Twitter. I am Samarage at Samarage. Jeremy is. Jeremy under what? Do it myself. <laughs> I like it better when we do it ourselves. <laughs> That's what she That's said. Not... <laughs> yeah. That's also anyway, what she said. Cheaper you can that follow way. Jeremy. That's at... what she said. Jeremy 
at Jeremy underscore Lamont. And you can follow Blue at? At Blue Swim. And you can follow Robert at? Tech underscore gaming. Yes, you can. And we have old cohorts, and you can find them and follow them on Twitter and send them creepy things on our behalf, and that will be amusing, just too. just call Cy old? Uh, no, no. Yes. Old, old members like old Sean members? Ola. That's what she said. No. Oh, gross. My old, old tech member. gaming podcast members. Yes, don't forget that shriveled old member, Sean Ola. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, uh, the, the visual. Why are you apologizing to Sean over shriveled and small or something? Oh, oh my God! On those lovely notes, we love all of you. Please don't judge us by our dick jokes, and we will see you all next time. That's what she said. Big.